Hey fans, thank you for tuning in to this replay of Twitter Spaces USA Rugby Happy Hour Live. This is the second half of the show. If you haven't done so already, be sure to check out the first half with our amazing guest. You can do that and listen to previous shows here on the USA Rugby Happy Hour Live podcast on your favorite podcast player. Now, on to our next guest. I think she's ready. She's been sitting back listening to the whole first 30 minutes. She's probably ready, been writing down notes and just ready to well us with something or, or maybe was like checking her notes and making sure Richard didn't mess up on anything. She's someone who doesn't have all that pesky rugby stuff getting her away now. It's Eagle 264, Christine Summer. Hi, Christine. Hey, guys. I know, no pesky rugby. I was going to say for Rich, he didn't bring up, you know, he played 10 and 15. He's still really fast. He does a race against our players. Uh, every you know, I think I saw a video actually on that. I think I saw <laughs> a video Don't let him fool you. He's that. still got it. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe you make an appearance to the uh, uh, training one day, and we'll uh, get some cameras out there and do it again. Uh, I don't know if he's is he faster than you or faster than the others. Uh, he's faster than most. I could oh. say he's probably he's definitely faster than me, and and honestly, a handful of players has got a quick pickup. Uh, his nice. legs move really fast. I'm sure he's loving me talking about his, <laughs> his fast, speedy legs. But yeah, his half's over. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so listen. Um, I do want to thank you, especially thank you, because we had a bit of a change in our schedule for tonight. And uh, you and I, I've messaged you a couple of times during the World Cup and all that stuff, and it hasn't worked out. But you were very gracious and saying, yes, I'm available tonight. So thank you for stepping in and filling in this next 30 for us. And it's not a, not a setback at all. We've been wanting you on the show for a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. For a second, when you messaged me, I was like, are you sure? Do you know I've retired? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that sounds good. I'll step in. <laughs> We'll replace. Okay, all right. So let's talk about this second. The retirement news. Um, uh, we we knew it was coming soon. Well, I guess everyone knows when they're retiring soon. But um, stepping back for a minute, you know, fifteen years of playing rugby. You know, a couple of club championships, six years, twenty five caps with the Eagles. Hopefully, it's twenty five according to Wikipedia. Um, you know, a few seasons of Premier Fifteens, two World Cups, and even played sevens with USA. That's that's crazy too. You obviously need to keep going. So I'm sure there's like some women's rugby league out there you can try out. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sure there's always something that's going to pop up. I mean, I'm going to Seattle training next week. There's always something. You can't stay away from the field, you know. No, no not until your knees give out. That was my issue. All right. So with all that said, Christine, um, how difficult was it or how easy was it to make this decision to retire? I had a lot of mixed emotions. Let me tell you, I, I think... For me, doing three seasons in the Prem, um, working full time and just kind of has its wear on you. You know, it's not so much it wasn't so much for me for a grind to do it physically, especially the last World Cup. I think it's a lot for an athlete mentally to continue to compete and put yourself against the younger players that Rich is talking about coming through and continuing to have that mindset every day that, you know, you just want to keep going and stay on the grind. So I think that's what kind of tipped me over to retiring and then obviously kind of looking into the next chapter. I think it's, it's hard because I've been with these players now for so many years and playing in the prem just seemed like the normal thing for me to do. So to leave that as well, kind of, kind of definitely left a gap in what I thought my, my life was. So it, I, I knew I was going to retire. I didn't know how hard it was going to be the first couple of months and it took me a second to wrap my head around it. But yeah. um, now, you know, it's, it's looking bright. Look, looking, looking back at, Prems, uh, Prem 15. So your husband was in Seattle. You bought a house before joining Harlequins. 
you were you still worked a West Coast job on the U.S. I guess working to one or two in the morning is that UK time or West Coast time? I mean, what was it? Was it was all of that worth it, or how did you how did you pull all that off? I suppose <laughs> is a better question. <laughs> you know, I I my first season was in 2018, so I got reached out by Quinns when I was at 2017 World Cup. I didn't go that immediate season because I had some. Uh, worked in on my knee but I actually went in 2018 2019 when you didn't necessarily need a contract to compete and so I did that and um, came back did that season and then kind of kicked off with Rob um, the season after we that I went there after we uh, bought our house uh, and working full-time was was kind of wild with because of just what you said I was working until two in the morning the, the first time I did it I was you know that was a big deal I was professional rugby so I tried to not work as much and just you know ride the wave but after so much time, you kind of have to continue to bring in the cash, <laughs> yeah. especially when you own a home and you have a mortgage to pay and other various bills. I mean, I just kind of had to um, make it work. A few of us just get used to it. Um, you kind of become a zombie in a way. I think it, it plays a toll where after so much time mentally, you're you're just always on it. So I know a handful of us would just check in, you know, at midnight and see how we're doing because we know four or five of us are still up for a few hours. So it, it's obviously it's always worth it. I kept doing it yeah. Yeah, to, yeah. to, you know, have a spot to put on that jersey or even be in contention. Um, sure. Plus playing high level rugby is amazing in itself. So I would do it again. Yeah. And so was the move to to Prem mostly to prepare for the, the World Cup or was it more of a just like you said, opportunity to play high level rugby? The first time it was just high level rugby. I mean, I knew I wanted to continue to be the best player I could be, but the idea of being a professional rugby player was surreal, and especially in a new country. Um, I kind of had that opportunity, I, but earlier on, Seattle Rugby was a, a Seattle Saracens. We were partnered with London Saracens, so we had their coaches come over and vice versa. So there was conversation about playing over there, and I didn't know it was a potential, but it was just to play abroad and be professional rugby player. I didn't even envision necessarily another world cup um i only had a few caps under me um so yeah it was it was to just continue play high level rugby as much as i can just get better every game learn new skills challenge myself and just continue on whatever that path looked like right and you were one of the first uh women's eagles to to <clears throat> to, to play over there how many team how many eagles teammates called you and kind of asked you about your experience right i think that we're I think there's over 20 that have played women's Eagles that have played in, in the Prem over the last year or two. Um, have, did a lot of them call you and kind of seek out your advice on, on the experience? Um, yeah. I mean, we had, we had Jess Wooden, we had Kimber Rozier that were over there before me, but they weren't contracted. Right. Um, so I was the first one to get a contract. So a lot of the conversations are, you know, what the heck does this, how does this read? <laughs> what do I look, <laughs> what do I look for in this contract? What do I even negotiate? I mean, negotiating the first time is, is that a reality? Cause you're getting anything. You feel like, you, why would I ask for more if I'm getting something? Um, so it's a really weird place, you know, talking about how do you live in another, another country for a long, a long period of time? What do I do about transportation? What do I do about accommodations? Um, what do I do about food? So that took me a bit to get to understand because my first year at Quinn's, I was kind of on my own island. There weren't any other U.S. players. And I just had to, you know, navigate that area on my own, did a couple trips to Europe on my own. Um, so it's mostly just, uh, once I get there, can you help me live? 
<laughs> what what it looks like would be a normal life when I'm in another country. You know, uh, Christine, you were um, a bit outspoken uh, with the Premier 50, with Prem 15s. And I guess outspoken is not really, I don't like, really like using that term. I mean, you were you were definitely not afraid to be vocal about, especially during COVID and how the women's program was not getting the same treatment as the men's program. You know, you were just basically, basically checking for, you know, symptoms and that's it, you know, and, and you were very out about that. Um, you know, did anything ever come out of that? Did anything, did that help? You know what I mean? Um, and, and I guess I don't want to, some of these questions I don't want to ask the wrong way because it's all in a good, in a good way. But is that, kind of kind of person you are is being outspoken like that like a leader to step up for the rest of your teammates yeah you know that was kind of a funky time too that was the second yeah. time at quids COVID just went up I'm every time I've gone over there where this team was at, I was kind of one of the older players so I felt like I was putting myself on a limb traveling to England during the peak of COVID kind of thinking yeah. what, what the hell did I do <laughs> was this a good idea um Training, you know, having issues where we stopped training or had to close down for the week because someone had a symptom, no one knew what to do. And obviously everything on the television was saying the alternative of, of, of what the men are doing, but they just kind of lumped us in an umbrella of premiership rugby. So, I mean, that's why I kind of, uh, I don't know, we, I was with a couple of teammates that night and maybe had a glass of wine and I was like, screw it. I want to put this on Twitter. Um, and I didn't realize how much it blew up. I mean, in the morning, I had a couple people text me because a couple Prem coaches and a couple refs said something, and I responded. But I didn't know who they were at that time, so I was just having casual chats with people. Oh, good. Um, I mean, it worked out. I, I got a lot of quick uh, publicity for that. I had to make a statement with Quinns. Um, I had to have some conversation with Rob, you know, because he was getting asked for commentary of what he thought. Mm-hmm. So then I had to really uh, – I didn't backpedal, but just refine what I meant by it. But, you know, I ended up leaving after that because we weren't getting a lot of playing time. So I was missing a lot of time at home with family during the early pandemic. And I just kind of made the decision to go back and join the USA players for a seven week kind of a camp together in in Colorado instead of continue to do this weird hibernation slash playing in in England at that time. So it kind of jumpstarted me to make a new decision to come back to the States. Um, and then I think a month after that, they ended up bringing some sort of testing yeah. to women's premiership. So I don't know if I was a, a conduit for that, you know, or, or spark some, something happened. Or it, it was already in the works, but I mean, I posed a question and then people started asking more questions. So I guess that that's how it goes. Well, for the sake of this show, you definitely were the conduit for it. All right, let's, let's start, step back to last year, Christine, um, the 21 Rugby World Cup or 22, depending on who you ask. Um, like I said earlier, we tried to connect while you were down there. Let's talk about, let's just talk about your experience down there. You know, other than where the team finished, you know, how was it different from the Ireland World Cup? You know, were there better meat pies in New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of, of course. We hit the the media for the meat pies. Americans love fast food is how it was portrayed. <laughs> um, but hey, they sold the most meat pies they've ever sold. And they sold out multiple days while we were there. Yeah. So it's good business. Um, I thought it was great. You know, I think all of us together as a squad of 32 would, would have so many meetings, look around and say, we're, we're the most ready as a, as a full squad, just based on how many games we've had together, how much time we've had, uh, with our trainings. I mean, obviously it's, we always want more kind of what Rich said. We, we always want more time, but in the amount of, uh, potential days, potential training days and the potential 
finances we had, you know, with USC rugby, world rugby whatsoever, we did what we could. So right. the level of skill was, I would say higher, but we're still playing, we were still playing catch up and we knew we were still playing catch up um, just based on all the programs and how much prep work they have and mm-hmm. um, kind of the camaraderie and caps behind a lot of those players. But it, it was, as far as a team camaraderie, it was the best playing environment I've ever had because that yeah. was a group of 32 players that absolutely loved each other. They're, they're such a dynamic and that maybe that's just like women's rugby thing, but they're, this was unlike any other USA pool or squad I've played with. There was just so much love within that team for, you know, all the sacrifices and all everything we put on the line the last five years to finally be at this pinnacle event. And obviously, like you said, we didn't do as we thought we would. And that hit, that hit hard. There was some low moments in New Zealand, let me tell you, especially after, you know, losing to Canada and then having the opportunity and, and losing to them again, knowing that they were completely beatable by us. But um, yeah, that was there were some tough times for sure. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Um, Fitz is going to ask you a question about the Canada matches here in a second. But, um, you know, speaking about gutted and this just happens with every match, with every World Cup, whatever else. Um, I was gutted for Alicia Washington not being able to make the trip. Um, I don't know how close you are with her, but talking about how close the teammates were and stuff. I mean, obviously you've been around when, when teammates don't make teams. You know, are these extra hard for you when you when a teammate doesn't make it? This the the, the cuts from Atlanta to the World Cup were probably the hardest that the squad has dealt with. Yeah, and also it was a toss up, so you didn't really know how the meetings were going to go. We had a couple days after that where we, in a weird way, we kind of mourned. I mean, you have someone that's part of your team for four and a half years, and then it's immediately cut. And you you feel a certain way because that person can't, you know, experience that next pinnacle event, and then they just feel ten times worse. Um, But the hard part is you just you have to just continue with your job the next day. It's kind of a weird mind switch. But that was a hard blow for the players that couldn't make it. But internally, as a squad, for us to lose those four players that have been a part of us for such a long time, that was really hard. Um, you know, Alicia and I are really close. I've been, I've been playing four. She's been playing my five for a very long time right. now. We did XV Foundation together, and we chat, we chat all the time. So, um, no, she's. I'm glad she's back in the prem playing and playing back at it. Yeah. So no, she's doing well. Now she's doing well. Yeah. Well, well, we'll touch on XV Foundation um, in a second, but I, I've got to ask about that that Canada match. Watching it, you know, 4,000 miles away, I could not sit down during that entire match. It was such an intense, just awesome match to, to watch. What was the – I mean, we could see the emotion. We could, we could see how much it meant to the players on the field watching it. But from your point of view, talk us through, like, what was going through everyone's mind, like – during halftime and then afterwards which what are you talking about the first match or the second match second match yeah or both yeah Yeah. you know i we kind of set it up um as our best repeat option you know out of all the people all the teams we could have played in in a quarterfinal spot they were the best one we could have achieved so we knew i mean you don't really get second chances to in a world cup so that's was our motivation a second chance to be better and kind of secure that semifinal spot. Um, and I think we, we did that in the first half. We came out really strong. Um, and obviously I think we were 
we were going really well going in halftime and the conversations were just to continue to be physical, continue to be dominant, um, be critical on the decisions we make because now we just need to be, uh, we can't have, you know, always have a, like a Hollywood moment. We have to be safe with the ball and continue to progress forward. Um, and I think going in the second half, we did that, but we had some errors that really set us back too far back where Canada just capitalized, uh, whether that was one penalty here and there or the yellow card we received, which was really hard to, mm. to come back. Um, and it's hard too, as you know, players on the field and then a yellow card happens and then immediately the momentum just switches. And for us as a national team, because I feel like we were always a little bit behind, you know, we were just always trying to keep our mentality up that we are competitors, that we can do it for 80 minutes. And that was probably, that was our, the biggest part for us that kind of let us down as we, is we, maybe we just didn't believe as much because that happened. Um, and it kind of sunk us momentum wise. Um, just tell, it just shows you how quick games shift with momentum. Um, but I know Rich is trying to figure out what to do with that with the next cycle. And we have a lot of players that are doing exceptional in the premiership right now. And a lot of players that are trying to get as many games as they can in the U S. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that feeling will come and go again with the players. Uh, I was a hard one to sink in and we kind of drowned our sorrows as much as we could that night and throughout the last, that honestly, the weeks following. Um, because a lot of us stayed 80% of the players stayed and it's even a different feeling to watch the the tournament continue and you're on the sideline. (laughs) That's really hard, but yeah, that was, that was a tough game. Let me tell you, it's hard to watch. I'm sure it was, it was a hard one to play. So physical too. So let's talk coaches real quick here, Christine, um, Rob Kane, uh, speaking of Rob, I know Rich is, li- Rich is listening right now. Uh, Rob was a big fan or friend of the show. He came on a couple of times. So remember that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so Rob, you know, he obviously recently stepped down or he's not involved with the program anymore. Um, you know, through the last rugby world cup, you know, can we talk about Rob's contributions? You know, what, what was his biggest impact on the program? Uh, I think Rob always tried to push the boundary of what type of players we were. Um, and expand our like mental well-being of what it means to be a rugby player. He would ask us a lot of questions, let me tell you, especially early on that we couldn't necessarily answer. He pushed our education understanding of watching game film and what it meant when we saw something really fast and how we could adapt that in our play. And so, like Rich was saying early on, he, a lot of the work we did with Rob was virtual. We had to quickly reset what it meant to be a USA rugby team and how do we continue to train and learn, not just physically, but mentally. So that was his big jumpstart, I guess, the first 18 months. Um, and I think that challenged us mentally a lot. We realized what we, how much we didn't know or how quickly we couldn't break down the game um, because we've always been you know, very dominant players. But as other countries would say, we're just we're just collision makers, you know, but we're not mentally skilled rugby players. So that was kind of the change we were hoping to, to create. And I think that's what Rob tried to push. And then as soon as we became uh, savvy enough to do so, we picked up our speed in our game, tried to help us be less of a very, very structured team and more of a play what's in front of you team. So I, we kind of, I think we started to really progress into that the last year uh, here and there, obviously we didn't get as many games as we anticipated even before world cup. That was kind of his vision, I anticipate, you know, being under him for five years, ask questions, continue to challenge us as much as he could. And 
get us to just play what's in front, not be as scripted. Harder, you know, easier said than done. Yeah. Um, but for, for what it's worth, coming in as the first full-time head coach, paid position for a women's team, um, I thought he did well. Uh, during that time when you were all drowning in your sorrows, uh, <laughs> did he ever give away any word on where, where he'll be next, where he'll resurface? Uh, no, he didn't. You know, we didn't know where anyone was going to be. Yeah. We knew that none of the staff contracts were renewed, and that's all we knew. And so people were just kind of waiting in limbo of what was going to happen with his position. You know, most of our, all of our staff really aren't, are unpaid. So being in limbo and an unpaid position is even harder. But for Rob, we, we weren't sure where, where he was going to go, if he was going to stick around for the next cycle or what was going to happen with the women's program in general. Mostly people were just coming up and making sure no one, no one left. It was like, you got one more in you, right? You'll stick around. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> Just trying to make light of the situation. We can do it again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the man we were just talking to a few moments ago, uh, Richard Ashfield, longtime assistant of the program, now uh, interim coach. Um, is there is there a level of comfort or familiarity that the players, current players, have with Richard to continue on over these next couple of months? Yeah, who's Rich again? I was on the call. <laughs> um, the guy that runs pretty fast, apparently. I uh, I think so. Yeah, I think there was a lot of relief hearing of him stepping up. Uh, someone that people know his coaching style, they know his expectations. I'm curious to see Rich is on here how uh, he changes his uh, dynamics as a head coach. I've never had Rich as a head coach. I've I've worked with Rich in the USA Rugby atmosphere as an assistant coach. Uh, but mostly he would just kick around with the backs and I would go somewhere else and, you know, do forward stuff. But I'm sure there's a ton of relief around having someone around and not someone pulled from thin air to fill a void. But we didn't know what was going to happen. So having Rich step up and take time away from his family and his job to support us is going to be really valuable. Let's jump over to uh, XB Foundation. We you, you brought that up a few moments ago. Your co-founder, again, along with uh, Alicia Washington. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of its mission and how both you and Alicia um, formed the organization? Yeah, we, we picked it up in January of 2020. It was kind of at the realm after, before COVID uh, 2019 where we kind of needed funds in the door for the women's program to figure out how we were going to have matches in the 2020 calendar year um, and how we were going to pay for travel. We weren't getting paid at all. So it was just mostly how are we going to pay to get to events? We were even, I mean, back then we had a, a fee to attend camp. If you're going to a USA camp, you pay $275. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a restructured, like, Alicia and I were like, what the hell are we doing? We should just do this. We're two of the older players in this pool now. Um, let's just make something where people feel comfortable to give money to because there was a lot of issues, you know, with USC Rugby going through bankruptcy and then obviously COVID happened. So we just kind of created another bucket for rugby cash to go into to – directly flow into the women's game and for us it was the national players so our that was our intention to create whatever a professional environment was to support the players whether that was removing you know the the struggle of paying for that camp fee or helping them pay for their mortgage or their rent while they're gone or giving them a bit more cash to support insurance it's kind of whatever is needed for that player to exist and and play within the realm of what it is what is usa rugby for them so yeah, I guess, that's what yeah. it was. 
Oh, that's great. Talk a little bit more about yeah, what you're, you've mentioned a couple of things there, but what you've been able to accomplish since you and Alicia have founded that foundation, you know, the number of, of players that you helped along the way. And was it primarily from a monetary standpoint, just making sure that, I guess, as you said, they could exist, you know, and, and still be able to play rugby? Yeah, it, it is primarily monetary. It is a lot of connections as well. We've, we probably the last few years have raised somewhere around 150 to 200 grand a year, which is insane wow. to think about. Um, a lot of it's from people who just love rugby. They love women's sports or they just love supporting their, their friends, their family members whatsoever. Um, so we have an adopted Eagle program where basically it goes out before an event and it says, Hey, you want to adopt a player? And they click the player that they want and we match them. And whether that's them buying them some boots or giving them a hundred bucks in Venmo, that's kind of the adoption process. Um, or players can apply for a sponsorship through the foundation for you know, whatever cash they need to support them for that amount of time with the USA Rugby event. And then you know it gets approved or we amend it based on how much cash we have. We ended up, Alicia and I gave up, uh, I think, around $40,000 in checks the week before we left for New Zealand. So it's wow. substantial, substantial awesome. help. Yes. And, it, and it helps people in so many different ways. And you kind of get the the insight of all the struggles that a lot of these players are going through, like Rich mentioned, you know, it's hard to just be a rugby player when you have stresses of home or family or some sort of financial issue going on. And then you just have to switch hats and play. Um, So definitely becoming harder and harder. We have more and more games as uh, rugby in general gets professionalized. You know, we're we're still on the heels of it, not with professional contracts. I mean, I think, Another, I forgot which country this last week just went professional. Um, I know France just gave 24 contracts up, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to have just one mindset um, while you train. Who came up with the LFG shirts? <laughs> I think that was like back off the, the USA women's soccer. Oh. Um, we, I mean, we couldn't say we were, we're, we're, sell, we're like, we're selling this to kids. I don't know. We, Cause we, we kind of wanted to put, <laughs> let's, let's fucking go. Um, and we just needed something that was more World Cup related, and then it had the the stars on it um, from the World Cups that the women's national team has won. So those things, man, you you don't realize how many people you know, support rugby or just support the women's side when those shirts go out. We we sell oh, yeah. like 400, 500 shirts, and that's a, that's a hard week that we sell, and it's shut off. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty wild how quickly those go, and then it just gives us a bit more cash to you know support anything else that comes up or. Or maybe if we do um, like a day where we do a tour, that's something the XB can pay for. So it just helps out the team in any way. Yeah, I've got a couple of shirts. Uh, probably wear them around. So uh, yeah. every- <laughs> All right. So we got just a couple more minutes left. I'm going to hit you up on some career reflection uh, questions. Hopefully we'll get a tear out of you or something. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. So, all right. You started at about 18 years old, right? Um, did you ever think back then that the game could or would bring you on the journey it did? No way. Yeah. No way. I didn't even know there was a national team until I was in my, I think my sophomore, junior year, because we had Blair Grossma that was a UCSB alum. And I got her shorts. It was hand-me-down. No way did I think I'd be here. Okay. And now um, tell us, like, your proudest moment or your favorite moment while playing for the Eagles. Gosh, that's a that's a very large question. <laughs> um, I think – uh, this this entire cycle has been a hell of a cycle. What? But I I didn't have I didn't think I'd have a chance to captain the team, but I captained one of the games in the Pack Four this year or this last year, oh, yeah. and I think that was 
a big moment for me personally. Just because you kind of hit those different pinnacles where you think you're not going to get to X off a box. And then it just, it, the, the door just opens for stuff, such a brief moment. And you get to experience that for such a small amount of time that it's just so, it's just so much brighter, I guess. So that, I think that for me was a big moment. Obviously every moment with the team and in 2022 in the years, even before were amazing little prem games that we would have where we would meet up after the game and talk, talk shit to each other, you know, (laughs) based on what happened (laughs) or like those, those are the big moments as well. Or times where we were all in England for a holiday because none of us went home and met up like yeah those were big moments but i think being to to have the opportunity to to captain the squad for for to see i did that for one game in my career i think is again nothing i thought i would have the opportunity to say especially coming off 2017 no way would i did i think i'd have even that option to do that right one final question and we'll get you out of here now this question may change because it sounds like you might strap your boots on for the Seattle club, but <laughs> what, <laughs> what will you miss most about the game? Oh, you know, I was, I was, uh, I, I immediately flew from world cup to Florida for a work conference. It was literally the weekend. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I'd, I've ever done. Cause I was in such a emotional wreck, but I did it. I put on my, you know, my fancy shoes and I just shook a bunch of hands and just shut the rugby brain off. But I met this Scottish guy, we were out getting drink. We had this business meeting, and it's of course me and six other dudes. You know, I only work with men in the construction environmental field, and we're all getting wine and steaks. And one of the guys there is Scottish, and it, he's of course the only one that knows rugby. No one else has an idea. <laughs> and he's chatting to me about World Cup. He's very excited. We went, and we're talking about family. We're getting really deep, and and then he's like, "Are you gonna miss the camaraderie with your teammates?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just started crying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it. Like that. I think yeah. that's with the groups that you have, you just can't get that back. And that's what when we mentioned, especially before that last Canada game, we're like, this group will never be together again. This coaching staff will never be together again. No matter what, what you try to do, it just will not be the same feeling. It won't be the same personnel. And it's just like that camaraderie, that collaboration with that group it is that's the missing point right there you can win a game you can lose a game you know there's wins and losses at every single level but the players you play with the coaches that provide you that mentorship and support when you're down or when you're up like that that those are the things that that i miss christine we we really should end on that but i really want to ask you one more i mean that's like (laughs) accurate here so in our past shows kate zachary hope rogers jenny cronish Mm -hmm. Um, we've asked them a question and they've all said, <laughs> some, eight, some said it's someone else. The question was, who's the funniest teammate on the Eagles? And I think, I think Kate thought it was her. I think Hope said it was her. Who do you think is the funniest teammate on the Eagles? Wait, who, who did, uh, Kate and Hope say? That fits what they say. I think, I think Kate said, well, it was, yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, the funny, the funniest answer was Rob said he, he thinks that Kate thinks she's, she was the funniest on the oh. team. um yeah i'm going with jenny cronish she is hilarious she can do stand-up anytime man she can she could spit a joke when you want when you want it or she can say the same joke she said four times and it is still (laughs) hilarious and so she's she's my top my top one right there Telling a joke while she was holding that meat pie in the article it's her what's that (laughs) In front of her, she must have been telling some kind of joke. <laughs> we we all sat down and ate pe- meat pies, and then we all had to write a haiku about our meat pie. 
that was that was the, the the task for the night. Everybody, every staff member had to write a haiku. So Jenny ended up writing maybe four, <laughs> and you had to, you had to read them out loud to everyone who was at the little meat pie restaurant. Um, she's a hoot, man. She's a tall comedian. That one, let me tell you. <laughs> Well, Christine, humor. Yeah. Yeah. Christine, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and we really do appreciate it. Uh, good luck next venture, i.e. playing for Seattle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk to you again soon. Yeah, no, thanks, Bill. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Whenever you need it, we, uh, we can hop on and have a good chat. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Christine. Uh, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's been another great show. We're here next, either next Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, we, we should have on the other half of the coaching, or the, the men's coaching staff this time, uh, another great show for you to tune into. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Good night. <laughs>